Welcome, friends. Pour your favorite cup of tea, coffee, or cocoa and settle in for sips from the sip from the Utica Institute Museum. Sips from the Sip is all about sharing the history of little-known people and places in Mississippi. We're serving up truth, justice, with a dollop of sass. I'm your host, Jean Green. Today's episode is the eighth of a multi-part series of readings and discussions from the book, Black Man's Burden. Joining me today is Mrs. Beverly Trimble. So what we're here today to discuss is chapter four of the Black Man's Burden. With me is Mrs. Beverly Trimble. Beverly Trimble is a friend and colleague and has read this book many years ago. So we're going to discuss chapter four. So Mrs. Beverly, kind of tell me a little bit about what chapter four is about and how it touched you. Okay, it touched me that his family depended on him, number one. Mm-hmm. And after he had taken the brother in, here's the sister. She wants to come because she wants to make something of herself. Right. So she contacted him because she was just working at a hotel and that wasn't working out for her. Then you look at his situation. He was so poor as it was. He only had one pair of pants. And he was right. patching and patching and patching until they didn't work anymore. And he patched them on the Sabbath day. And the preacher preached about, what was that he preached about? He said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And you hear this in church when they see people washing their cars and doing work. So that kind of made him feel a little guilty. So, you know, the next thing he did, Miss Washington came by. And she got him a suit, and he began to look like a preacher. And some of them started to call him names like Preacher Reverend Doc. But he oh, did. this is this is Booker T. Washington's wife, right? Is that yeah, Miss Washington? Washington. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of cute. They he said it was a Prince Albert suit, and you know I don't remember what those looked like in the day, but you probably <laughs> do. But he said shortly after that he made a substitute teacher and was making eight dollars a month. Can you imagine us making $8 a month? Mm-mm. We would just starve because we came by a McDonald's meal with $8, not even the dollar menu meal. Mm-mm. What's the minimum um, wage now, $8? $8 an hour. eight seventy five. <laughs> so in comparison, they thought they was rich back then. And, you know, he went on and he, he was in Tuskegee. He went on to work at a school. That was Snow Hill. Snow it? Hill. Mm-hmm. And he became the printer. Yeah, I think that was his, he was imprinting as, as one of his studies when he yes. was at Tuskegee, right? And you know, printing was important back then, because this is how you get your newspaper, this is how you get your flyers, your right. menus, and all that thing. So he went out and promoted it. See, what I saw in that was, he had a plan. He yeah. went out, first he learned some things about fixing on things at Tuskegee, being the printer. Right. Then he used his print shop to go out and raise money so that he can buy what was it the the letters the, the what he needed to print. Uh-huh. He went out and the he typeface. Yes, the, the type. Yes, he went out and he did that. Uh, but you know, he said that he wanted to be a lawyer, mm-hmm. and his dad said he saw lawyers as liars. Okay, and you know he went on to finish what he started because he promised his mama. And she died. So, you know, it's no different from now. Some of our uh, values 
existed back then, but they were just a little bit poorer than we are. He had promised his father wanted him to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. Just before he, his death, he went to his bedside and he repeated his wish that he be a teacher mm-hmm. and not a lawyer because he said lawyers are liars. There you go. And there he did go. not want him to be that. So he didn't study law. Mm-hmm. It would have been found in his career at Tuskegee where he had encouraged to do that, but he was following the orders that his father gave. And, you know, he wanted him to go out there and educate those mm-hmm. children. Mm-hmm. And I saw that as just such a promise. But, you know, he did a lot of things in the meantime in Chapter 4. He got married. Uh, they had uh-huh. a baby. The baby right. died. And he started to take a, a job overseas, and he had to go to New York. And then a tornado came and tore up the place. That's right. He was supposed to get a job, I think, in uh, Montserrat. Mm-hmm. And then he was stranded, wasn't he? In he got New stranded York. in New York, didn't have any money. Mm-hmm. And the guy sent for him, and he went back to the school, Snow Hill, to work. Mm-hmm. And the guy was, was his name? Edwards? Something like that. Mm-hmm. And so he went back to, to work at Snow Hill. He mm-hmm. met and married his wife. Mm-hmm. They had a baby, but something happened to the baby. The baby got sick. The baby got pneumonia uh-huh. and died. Yeah. So now they're both real depressed. About they're real the upset. Of, they're real upset child. about the death of their child. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when you lose a child, parent never thinks that they should lose their child before they die. Exactly. So that really upset them because it was a baby. And, and that's really emotional for a parent. I think the baby was six months old. He was, he was a wee baby. So then it's, it's easy to kind of lose your focus. It is. But still, he had that focus to come to Mississippi. I don't care what happened. He went out. He repaired clocks. He fixed clocks. He did all type of things. He taught school. But he never lost his desire to want to come to Mississippi and help the little kids down here. You know, and I'm really impressed by that. Booker T. Washington told all his students he wanted them to go out and and, and take education to the to the deep, dark places. And Holtzclaw said that when he determined to go to Mississippi, that it was the darkest section of the South for a colored man. He Mississippi. Did. He did tell him that. And uh, so he, when he decided to come here, he knew where he was coming. He knew where he was coming. But as you progress over through the book, it wasn't really the blacks that helped him when he came here. Mm-hmm. It, be, it was the whites that helped him get the land and all that he needed mm-hmm. to start this project. As a matter of fact, some may have even worked here, but he brought people from Tuskegee too. Mm-hmm. He did. But yes. be, before that time, Mr. Edwards had sent and got him mm-hmm. to come back. And they get, made him the financial agent. And then at the end of the year, he went again to Mississippi as he'd done before. Then the trustees of Snow Hill made him the, the treasurer of the school. Mm-hmm. Raised his salary to $25 a month. And then he began to think, perhaps, now let me tell you what I saw in all that he went through. I saw him preparing him on how to get funds, mm-hmm. how, to, how to run a school, teach at a school. 
He was building his experience and he didn't even realize what he was doing. He was learning how to be the treasurer, the financial officer. He knew how to teach. That's right. So he knew what he needed. So what he was doing, although he may not have saw it as a value, because when you come to school at that time, you needed to print, right? Right. So, and then you think about the print. Some lady gave him the money to buy the pads to do the letters right. in the print. Right. So he was he was blessed in that way. Right. I mean, he went through every part that he could go through to be prepared when he came here and, and started a school. I mean, it was so good for this time. Then him and his wife, they built a house. Mr. Edwards gave him the money, and they was paying him back by the month. And that was when they were in Snow Hill that he was right. doing that for them. And, and Miss Beverly, when I think about, and I know you and I have talked about this earlier, when we think about how Hostclaw went through all these different trials, he was poor. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had no financial help from his family. family. He had to be the help for his family, That's for his right. brothers and sisters. And we see this every the, day. Every day in the students you deal with, the students I deal with, that folks come from very poor circumstances and then they are called back home they can't finish up their education because they got to go back home and work or take care of a family member he took care of two family members that's right however it did not stop him from his journey he continued on he had a dream he had a vision a passion for it and he was destined that he would come to mississippi and start a school that's right even though the first second and third time (laughs) yes he did not yeah. succeed. He did not. And that, that, that sense and perseverance that he had to hold on to that dream, though when they lost that baby, he almost gave he up. He almost gave up. Until somebody gave him that book. Let me see what that book, yeah, he read that book. Let me see what that book was. Okay, and of course, time right there. It was about Orson Sweat Martin. It's the book Pushing to the Front. Pushing to the Front. He said he read that immediately, and that gave him that that zeal he needed to want to go back on his journey. But it's just a firm believer. We as a race believe in that God will put us where we need to be. When we need to be there, it wasn't his time. He didn't know how to manage a school. He just had been to school. So he came back here and he worked at Snow Hill Uh and he learned a lot of things. He learned how to work with people. He learned that in order to get money for his school, what is he going to have to do? He may have to travel outside of Mississippi. Right. Think about those things. And then he also learned that it's important that you build your knowledge by reading other people's work Mm -hmm. because it can keep you motivated. You know, when you're dealing with the students in your area, and they are coming from all kind of different circumstances. When you talk to them and encourage them, are you giving them some of the same points that well, Postcard did? Of course, I, I encourage them to, to finish their education because I tell them that it's a true statement that in a lifetime, if you will complete your two-year degree, that's why two-year degrees were developed so that people could get a trade and go out there and get a job. And they make more money than people with masters. I mean, we got welders have a year that make a hundred and some thousand that left hands at some point. Right. People make a lot of money off of these because 67% of the workforce is career tech mm-hmm. job. Mm-hmm. All you got to do is get some training. Right. And right. used to be it was just hands-on training. 
But all the things that we do, like machining, precision machining, used to be the blacksmith kind of like. Okay. Now it's precision machining, manufacturing, whatever you want to call it. Okay. But a student can come right out of school and go to some of these jobs right in Jackson, make 26 to $28 an hour. Sometimes they're so desperate that they give them a beginner's bonus. You know, they give you opportunity to buy your tools and do some things. Mm-hmm. But Hostclaws was into the business of wanting to encourage little black children to be better at what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And it's not in this chapter, but once he started the school, they didn't have anywhere for them to stay. Right. He had to go out in the community, build relationships so these people would allow these students to stay in their home. They didn't know what kind of people they were, but we wouldn't do that now too quick. But they did that. Well, you know, we do different things that are sometimes just as impactful. But when you were speaking earlier about how Holtzclaw didn't know how to run a school until he worked around with Mr. Edwards at Snow Hill, he had gotten the basics from teaching teaching and on teaching and, and had actually gone back home for a while when he was in school at Tuskegee, which is covered in another chapter as well, but he learned that working with folks, getting groups of people together of the same mind with his Black Belt Improvement Society that he did and he recreated here at Utica. I see such a correlation between what this man did with nothing and what we have to do with our version of nothing. We come here, we work every day, we deal with with students at many different levels. We deal with people in the community in many different ways. And we are recreating what Holtzclaw did 120 years ago. 120 years ago. So I see that, I see this book, I see this chapter as being really impactful in the work that we're trying to do here at this campus. Here at this campus. And a few years ago, you know, we had Vice President Deborah Mays Jackson. Mm-hmm. She came in and kind of tried to recreate and get the community back involved mm-hmm. in the agriculture. She had everything that they put out for Founders Day made or did at the school, like the quilt, the picture, the art department did the picture. And one department did the quilt. Then another area, the carpentry did the The stand and the frame. And all those things, she was trying to go back. She even started working with Alcorn on the ag to get back to what he stood for Mm -hmm. and what he wanted to school. It's not going away Mm -hmm. because without the agriculture, we cannot eat. We get won't have clothes. That's true. People don't think about the big picture. You need people to work in it, not just people to go out there and plant. You gonna need the accountants, the finance people. Look at all the positions yeah. Dr. Hostclaws went through to get to where he was going. Exactly. And you know, I was glad when he read the book because he was down about the baby. He said that book aroused him. Yes. He threw it to the floor. And he got up and he made up his mind that I'm going to Mississippi. And when he came, it wasn't easy. No. But he, he went to the Delta first. He, yes. They were probably a little bit poorer than he wanted them to be. So then he came to Mississippi, Utica, Mississippi, and he went up there by St. Peter and he taught there for a while, mm-hmm. which, you know, the school has a marker there to recognize yes. that. 
And you you have a, a deep connection to St. Peter, do you not? Yes, we do. And we have some host cross family buried in our graveyard up there, although some are out here. At the, at the mm-hmm. school cemetery, yes. that's true. And But anyway, I just think that was an awesome task, and I think that we, as the people from the community and the college, we need to uphold his legacy. Yes. He fought to get what he had. You know, God didn't want him to go overseas. Mm-mm. He needed him here to learn and he was given that opportunity to go to Snow Hill and he found out that there were good people in the world. They helped him, helped him build a house. Mm-hmm. He started doing printing. People bought him the letters, mm-hmm. the pad for the letters. I mean, everything that he done, he was blessed in it. Mm-hmm. Except for with the baby. He was blessed with everything else. And it just prepared him for his journey mm-hmm. to Mississippi and what he had to do. And that's right. That's right. You know, when we think of, sometimes we think that if we meet an obstacle, we have a job or uh, something we want to do, we get the first obstacle and we just do. We don't know what to do after that. You know, I, I hit a stumbling block. Then if, you, if you're if you able to persevere a little bit and get past that, you hit another one, oh, that's it, it's that's over. It. I, I, but he hit many. Yes. He hit many. I mean, who would be up in New York and don't even have money to come home? Right. Back in those days. And you know he probably didn't have anywhere to sleep. That's right. Think about that. That's right. Because it, it's, it was real different back during the early 1900s, during the early years of Jim Crow, when... There was that. This is before the Green Book was done right. to show you what was a, a good place to stay or eat. Yeah, you had to find your way. And then back then, you walking all through the woods because it wasn't black top. That's right. In concrete, you, you was walking pathways. That's right. Where through horses, the cane break. Right. But yeah, this was a very interesting chapter in his life. The start of his marriage. The start of him realizing what the career was mm-hmm. that he truly wanted to do after going through all the things that he went through. But what he didn't realize at that point, that he was being prepared to come to Utica, start that school, because it showed him that people would do things for you if you ask. Mm-hmm. It was just so many things that led to him getting prepared right. to come here and educate the students of not only just Utica, but surrounding areas. But, then, you know, when you think about someone who's come from nothing, when in the earlier chapters he talks about his, his mother bringing food in and they fell on it like little piglets trying to eat it, this prepared him to come to Mississippi and deal with people who didn't have anything. Have anything. Because I can meet you where you are where now. Where you are now. And then the other thing, he can make them hopeful mm. because he was a black man with some education. And then, not to mention that, Booker T. Washington, being in history book, he had a mentor. Right. That was going to come with him. That's right. And then, not only that, George Carver Washington, we read about in the history books, mm-hmm. he was a part of this school. Mm-hmm. I mean, it don't talk about it in that chapter. That's true. But I'm just saying, this man made connections, and he developed a educational process that everybody wanted to emulate. Piney Woods, that person, Mr. Lawrence, was here. That's right. So, you know, you think about this. And his children should have stayed and tried to help uphold this legacy. You know, and, and that, but that's something, too. That's a lesson, too, for those of us who are The older, son did. One of the sons one did. One of the sons did. But, you know, we can take a lesson 
and not be discouraged when our own children don't follow right. exactly in our footsteps or you see other folks leaving. And, and that's one of the things I wanted to touch on too. We are trying to have a renaissance of thought for this campus. We're trying to pull together uh, those different threads that have frayed and gone away, that have decided that this is not the place that they want to be. So we need to try to emulate Mr. Holtzclaw in the fact that he came here, saw discouragement, as we see, saw where the dream was almost slipping through his mm -hmm. fingers, but he still held on, and he still worked toward it. So when we are here and we see that the the dream of Holtzclaw is being minimized, let's say, or being gently pushed to the back, we need to take a, a thought from the book, push it to the front, pull it back to That's where right. it's in the forefront so that those of us who are still here, like you, Miss Beverly, who remember the school when it was in its heyday. Right. And when we try to tell, have you noticed when we try to tell folks about what Utica used to be, it's hard for them to see it. They can't consider, see it. Considering what Utica is now. But as we share what Holtzclaw did and as we share what you experienced, because you went to the high school yeah, and I you did not go to school. the high school. I just went to the college portion. My were. sisters, my two youngest sisters only went over there out of them. But you had some knowledge of the school. Oh, we had knowledge of the school dying to come. I mean, they offered things that they didn't offer at Utica High School. Mm -hmm. They had a band. Mm -hmm. They had all type of club. They would have a coordination ball. Mm -hmm. They just had so much more than we had. But we had a sick grandmother, and my mother wanted us close by because right. I was the only one that could drive. So we had to be close by. I wasn't 13, but okay. We had to be close by to take care of my dear. Mm -hmm. So it kind of hindered us from coming here. But, you know, that was all good and fine. You know, we got an education. But as soon as we could break free, we came in and went to college. How, you know, folks think about distance differently than it was when we were growing up. It was hard to get home, and I stayed six minutes up the road. This is what I wanted to, to get to. I remember when I was talking to some students about going to town once a week. <laughs> they didn't understand that whole concept about going to town once town a week. Town was what was happening on weekends. Yeah. And you can go to certain places and get the best burgers. Drinks was five cents. They got to understand Utica, as other towns, small towns, were booming. Right. And the wrong people just had business because when they got old, they cheered and wanted, they moved away. And go. this is what has happened to the entire community and the college. That's true. Because we had all the Hazelhurts, all the Edwards, all the Bolton, all of Crystal Springs, Terry, all of them had to come in if they wanted education. That's right. And because then the others is... went to Jackson State. But, you know, right. they start here and move on up. I know people that was teaching, had to go back to Jackson State. They had been teaching for years, didn't even have a high school diploma. Huh. And and they knew Dr. Hostclaw. They're dead now, but uh -huh. they were the older people in the co community. That's just like our insurance person, my granddad's best friend. He was one of the first Jubilees, Norcell Stamps. Okay. Yeah, he's come to our house every week. So, you know, we were encouraged back then. 
That's right. That sense of community. As a that's community. It. That's right. We were encouraged. And people wanted to come down here. We thought we was going somewhere when we came to Utica Institute or Utica Junior College. Right. I was here when they first began working on the dorms. <laughs> and I left and went to USM. But I said, when they get dorms, they're going to be tough. Because right at that time, people were actually staying in people's houses. And, you know, wow. they had the bus system. Uh-huh. Yeah, so we've come a long ways. But we need to rebuild, That's and we true. need to put some of our values back in. That's right. You got to be genuinely interested in this school. Well, we got to re-educate. That's what we're trying to do with this book, with this podcast, with these interviews. Is I don't know if you remember when I first came here. I remember when you first came. In 2000, I did not know Holt's Claw from Handicap. And we're working on the campus. Working on the camp, had never heard of it. But it was folks. Shirley, Davis, Ellistine Turner, uh, Wynn Strong, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the other folks who, who uh, Magnolia Hampton, who told me, uh, Esther Owens, who told me, Amanda Hubbard, who told me what Utica was. They made Utica live when they told me these stories about what the high school was like, what the community was like, what they did at the at the college. They, this, this teacher was doing these things. That teacher was doing those things. They did this trip and whatever. And I caught the love that they had for this area. And I started thinking, well, you know, this may be a good place to study. I read the book. And listen to, like you said, Shirley Davis. And folks telling me... Dr. Cooper. Well, yeah, Dr. Cooper. people driving from near Madison to come to Utica every day, thankfully. Every day, every day. Deborah Dana talking to me about, you know, working here on the campus and what it was like. And then, even in the early 2000s, when the high school was still in operation, seeing this campus as its own community. Its own neighborhood. It really is its own campus. And when Dr. Mays Jackson was here, she was actually trying to get it that way. Mm-hmm. But she just had to have that 1,200 people on right, this campus. Right, right, And anyway, she worked on that part. She right. even worked to make it better where we'd have a turning lane so people could just go round right. and not stop the traffic. She right. did that because she don't want people getting ran over. Right. So it was a lot of things that people have tried to bring back. One thing, too, that when we talk about Dr. Mays Jackson, she was instrumental. And once she found out that Utica was historically black and HBCU, she made sure that that was put on every piece Mm. of publication that we did, that Utica campus and HBCU, which helped us reignite our connection to the entire HBCU community. I want to thank you so much for coming down and talking with me today about Chapter 4 in Black Man's Burden. And I want to thank you, too, for being one of the people that helped welcome me to this campus. Because one of the first things I remember that was... was a parent then. You were a parent then. Because the first thing I remember is going to one of the Jubilee Lord. One of the mahogany dancer practices. Uh, practices, 
and seeing a little girl roll on the floor and I asked, whose child is that? <laughs> it was my, and, and that's another thing. Miss Owens was here with the history mm-hmm. for 35 years as a part of this campus and that made children come down here and then on Friday nights when the band would march the campus our little girls would march with them and they would let them come at first they would dance on the sideline she'd bring them over here just for halftime and parents would come to the game and the games would be just loaded we we need to get back to that I I wish all together we had our agricultural school back it's unfortunate but because it was good for the community. Because mm-hmm. you have to start the students off young. And that's what he did. He built a system. He put people in positions that he knew mm-hmm. that they would progress in. Right. And right. that's that's where we have to remember. It was just, the memories are just great. Thank you again. Thank you for doing that. And as always, tune in for our next session. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for tuning in for Sips from the Sip. Join me next time for a reading of Chapter 5 of William Holtzclaw's Black Man's Burden. This program is supported by donations from our listeners. If you enjoy learning about the history of William Holtzclaw, the Utica Institute, and Mississippi, consider donating. To support Sips from the Sip and all the work at the Utica Institute Museum, visit our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Utica Institute. Until next time, this has been Jean Green coming to you from the heart of the Sip.